Our reading comes from the Gospel according to St. Luke, in chapter 16, from verse 19 to verse 31, and it's entitled, The Rich Man and Lazarus. There was a rich man who dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him up to Abram. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abram far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abram, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all of this, between us and you is a great chasm that has been fixed. And those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them also, that they will not be in this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Parables are often used by Jesus to illuminate the truth of the kingdom of God. Today, they are no different. When we go to the parables, we are able to see the definition of what the kingdom of God is and how it works. And every time we are transported back into looking at the parables, there is something that becomes clearer. The wonderful thing about Luke is that he is able to use these parables very much in the way that he writes. There's always a, a stark difference between light and dark, between rich and poor, between small and big, and between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth. And he likes to put them side by side so that we can see very clearly which one is God's way and which way is the way of the world. And this parable really brings it into focus when you see the stark differences between Lazarus and the rich man. Now, there are a lot of parables that I love to, to read because they don't offend me. Because I like to put myself in the good guy's shoes. So when I read the prodigal son, I know that at a certain stage in my life, I was the younger son. But that I could come back to God and receive grace and receive forgiveness and be made whole and become part of the family. There's a wonderful um comeback and a wonderful reunion that I have experienced before and I put myself in the feet of, of the younger son many times. 
I also try and put myself in the in the shoes of the father, the one who with incredible grace, with absolute compassion and just unlimited love brings this child back into his home. And so I try to believe that I too have that kind of grace and compassion. There's also beautiful ones like the Good Samaritan. And I truly believe that I'm not like the Levites. I'm not like the priest that just walks past the wounded man. I truly believe that I am a compassionate person, that I would stop for this this wounded man and that I would then help him to heal. And so I like to put myself into the good person's shoes. There's also a wonderful parable about uh, when you go to the banquet, never seat yourself at at the head of the table because it is incredibly embarrassing when you are then demoted to further down the table. Always put yourself at the bottom so that the host might come and elevate you. That's, you know, the way to do it. And remember, the first will be last and the last will be first. And so I try to be a servant. I try to be humble and allow someone to come and elevate me. But with this parable, you are either Lazarus or you are the rich man. There is no in between. And I truly can't put myself in the shoes of, the, of Lazarus. I have not been afflicted by such a disease. I have never only felt um, relief and compassion through the kindness of dogs. I have to be the rich man. And that makes me sit in a very uncomfortable position because then I have to look inside and going, what part of the rich man am I? And do I do things that the rich man has done? So what are the consequences for me? So let's start with the context. Now, whenever Luke repeats himself, you take note. The previous parable, Luke starts, once there was a rich man. And that was a parable about a dishonest manager. And it ends with the line, you cannot serve two masters, both mammon or wealth and God. And then he moves from there into this parable. And so he also starts, once there was a rich man. And so he's talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to the religious leaders while he is telling you these parables. Because they really had an issue with dealing with wealth and neglecting the poor and allowing poverty to flourish while some people had many resources and and great amounts of wealth. The Pharisees were not trying um, uh, trying to speak to the rich people or to the tax collectors or to the Romans and try and challenge them to give over their resources. But instead, they were using their power and their wealth to put the poor under their under their feet. And that was exactly against the teaching of Jesus. So he starts by saying, once there was a rich man. And then he said, this man used to wear purple and he had fine garments of linen. And that really just meant that this man was the top of the top. He had extreme amount of wealth and he had amazing amount of status. And so you can see the rich man and you know where he comes from. He says there was also a beggar and his name was Lazarus. And he sat at the gate of the rich man. And he wanted just the crumbs that fell off the table of the rich man. Now that is desperation. 
That is worrisome that a rich man would allow someone to suffer in that way. It also says that he was covered in sores and that dogs came to lick him. Dogs showed him compassion. Animals showed him relief. But the rich man never even engaged with him. Now that just tells you a lot about this rich man. And the sad thing is that so many times we find that animals are more compassionate and more human than humans can sometimes be. So that's where the the story starts. But it flips very quickly. It says, one day Lazarus dies. And Abraham takes him from this world and places him at the right hand in the kingdom. Okay, so we see that the, the poor... The Lazarus, the beggar, the one who is afflicted, the one who is unclean because of his sores and unclean because he is licked by an animal, is lifted up to sit next to Abraham, who was the the absolute symbol of being with God. And this must have offended the Pharisees and the religious leaders beyond all means. How could they say that this man would be elevated To Abraham's side. And then he goes on and he says, and then the rich man, he was brought into a place of torment. Now in those days, so, so many of the Pharisees and the religious leaders used to teach the reason that people were rich is because they were righteous. The reason that people were rich is because their parents or their family had done something right in God's eyes that they were favored and therefore became rich and the wealth was justified. And so that was a symbol that God favored you. But what Jesus is saying is that if you are rich and you do not show compassion, if you do not show grace, if you do not show humanity or dignity to those who are poor and suffering, you will land up in a place of torment. And so this was very, very difficult for the Pharisees and the religious leaders to accept. And then it keeps on going. So he says that the rich man then turns and he doesn't even talk to Lazarus. He sees that this man who was outside of his gate, who he never even probably looked at, he didn't know his name. He now doesn't even speak to him directly. He speaks to Abraham and he says, Abraham, won't you send Lazarus? To just go and dip his finger in water, to come down and to put his finger on my tongue so that it might feel a little bit of, of, uh, you know, sort of relief. And even in death, when he sees that the poor have been risen, has been raised up, he still treats him as a servant. Come send, send Lazarus down to me. He still doesn't get the understanding. He still doesn't get the picture. Now, I also find it very interesting that when Jesus tells this parable, we know the name of Lazarus, but we don't know the name of the rich man. And I think that's God saying, those who are suffering, those who are living in poverty, those who are are totally outside of any kind of comfort, I know their name. I love them. They are my children and I know them and I'm with them during their times of pain and suffering and indignity. 
And the rich man, who just couldn't care less about his brother who was outside of the gate, I don't care about his name. For he has not acted in the way that, that brings glory to my name. And so Lazarus has a name in this parable, but the rich man doesn't. Very interesting the way that Jesus uses it. The thing about wealth is that it can often create blindness. When we are in a place of comfort, often we are aware of our issues, of our problems, of the things that we need, and we close ourselves off from the pain and the suffering of others around us. And again, I'm not saying that if you are comfortable that God will send us into a place of torment. But what God is saying is that I have blessed you in order to be a blessing to those who are going through pain and suffering and hardship. And so what has God given you that you are then able to bless others with? There is a, a website that is available at the moment that allows you to put in your salary so that you can see how wealthy you are in comparison to the rest of the world. And so I plugged in what I earn and what my wife earns on a monthly basis and it spits out a figure and it tells me that I am in the top 4% of earners in the world. Now, I don't earn that much. But yet, I am in the top 4% in terms of earning. I'm in the top 8% in the world in terms of wealth. And so, if I am not Lazarus, right at the bottom, then I'm probably closer to the rich man. And so, this parable is for me. And so, I need to constantly be aware of those who are suffering. And often, the only way that I can be aware of their suffering is to actually go to where they are. When the rich man is living inside of his luxury, inside of his mansion, and enjoying the goodness of his life, well, he doesn't get exposed to the pain and suffering of Lazarus or anyone else outside of his home. I remember the first time I was able to walk into a township. Now, I've been involved in mission work most of my Christian life. So I became a Christian when I was about 21. And from about the age of 23, I used to try and do as much community work in the townships as I could. And so a 23-year-old young man walked into a township called Inzamayetu. Inzamayetu is on the opposite side of Hout Bay. So if you ever have seen the nice part of Hout Bay, I got married in Hout Bay. And so it's up on a hill and there's a majestic views of Hout Bay. And then on your left hand side, outside of the view of the photos, there is a township. And I remember walking into that township. We came in with police guard. It was horrific to see the conditions that those people were living in. Sewage was flowing through the streets. There were children that you could see were malnourished. You could see the squalor that they lived in. Half of the, the um, shacks were very much just built in a couple of days and were ramshackle and could provide very little shelter from the elements. And I remember walking into this place going, these people must be fuming because of the in, injustice of all of this. 
And when I came to meet them, it was anything but. They were so grateful that there were people that were coming to acknowledge them. To acknowledge the way that they were living, to try and help them to improve what they had. I always try and make sure that we work with the young people, with the children in those areas, because I believe that if you can give them a good education, if you can empower them from the grassroots, you have got an opportunity to change their lives. And so we went in there and we helped with an Educare Center. And I have never in my life experienced the kind of support that that community gave us when we came in and showed that we loved them. The wonderful thing is, if you want them to be on your side, there is only one thing that you have to do, and that's to learn their name. When you learn someone's name, it gives them dignity. When you learn someone's name, it gives them value and worth. When you hear the story of why they are in this township, or where they came from, or where they were born, or where they um, became refugees into this country, you are blown away by their stories, but they don't want you to haul them out of poverty because they know that you don't have the resources. But when you hear their story, you can see that you can acknowledge them and they feel that they are, are wanted and they can feel that they are loved and that they can feel that they are human. It's when we pretend that they don't exist, that is when we start to create the animosity. That is when we start to create the anger. If we can go in and acknowledge where people are and just engage where they are, it's amazing how you can bring God into that situation. So that's the one thing that the rich man has to start to learn, is that Lazarus had a name. He had a story. He had a pain and suffering. And can you imagine how Lazarus must have lived his life. He was probably excommunicated from his family because if you had a disease, your family could not keep you in their home because not only would they get sick, but it also drained their resources if they were a poor family. And so often these people would be rejected and they would have to go and beg. If only he had knew the name. If only he had showed compassion. If only he had showed dignity in the world of the living he wouldn't have to experience the pain of the next world that was to come. The next thing that I found also very interesting is that the rich man says to Lazarus, I want you now. So he tells Abraham, send Lazarus to go and speak to my brothers, to go and speak to my family so that they don't land up where I am. I don't want them to go through this pain. And so please, Lazarus, go and speak to my brothers. And so Abraham says, but they have Moses and the prophets. If they don't listen to them, then they won't listen to someone who has risen from the dead. And also that is very, very interesting because who is that person that we listen to that was raised from the dead? Anyone know in Christianity who that would be? Jesus. Jesus. And so the funny thing is, we can see the message of Jesus in the Old Testament as well. Through Moses and the prophets, they speak about community. They speak about including those who are vulnerable. They speak about loving the widows and the orphans. They speak about reaching out to the sick. They speak about creating community. 
And when Jesus comes, he does the exact same thing. He speaks about radical love and inclusion. He speaks about compassion. He speaks about creating community that includes all people. Moses and the prophets speak the exact same language as Jesus does. And so when Jesus says the parables, he just points them back to Moses and the prophets. The wonderful thing about scripture is it all tells the story of God's love for his people. And especially the people that are hurting. And so we need to be aware, we need to be open, we need to be listening, we need to be seeing where are the people that feel invisible. Where are those people who are hurting and suffering and who the community that we live in has excluded? Now, my father-in-law is in a home for people with dementia. About three years back, he had a stroke and quite suddenly he went through an incredible, incredible transformation where he has struggled so much to try and understand. And we have slowly seen the degeneration from that point where he doesn't recognize us. He doesn't recognize his family. He doesn't recognize his wife or his children. And you know what? We, 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 we recognize him. He's not invisible. He's still the father to my wife. He is still the grandfather to my children. He is still the husband to my mother-in-law. And so we need to go and spend time with him and love him even if he can't see us. He can't be invisible to us. There was one man who was about 35 years old now, so he's just a little bit younger than me. When he was 10 years old, he fell out of a car. And he had incredible brain damage. And they put him into this home when he was 10 years old. He is 35 now. His family has not seen him in 14 years. He is written off. He is invisible. That is not the God. The God that I serve does not allow that to happen. Everything that Jesus teaches, everything that Moses and the prophets teach, is that we then can see those people who are invisible to the rest of the world. And that we come closer and we show love, even if they can't understand the love that we have. We need to be looking out for those who are invisible. In this home, how many people are looked at or looked after by their family? How many people have visitors constantly? How many people, though, are forgotten and become invisible? And it's part of our mission as Christ followers to go and to look for those who are invisible and to go and spend time with them and to show God's compassion and God's love and God's inclusion, to sit with them, to read to them, to just be in their presence. The reason that this parable speaks so deeply to me is that I have a son who could easily become invisible. My child was diagnosed with a condition called autism and he also cannot speak. And so for us, he is our world. We love him beyond any kind of, of comprehension. And I would do anything for my child and my wife would do anything for my child. But as he gets older, it's always harder. 
And if anything happens to me and my wife, I need to know that there is a group of people who will never forget about him. I need to know that there is a group of people that will make sure that my son is not invisible. Where they will be his voice if he cannot speak. And those people are followers of Christ. Those are the people who just live and breathe the love of God. Who have compassion that it bursts out of their heart. And that they could allow no one to live this world without knowing the love of God and will embrace Him. And so part of my mission is to evangelize and to help other people to discover the love that God has for them so that they will show the love that God has for them to people like my child. And so there are invisible people all over. And in our time that we ask the Holy Spirit to open up our hearts, our minds, and our eyes so that we can see the invisible people that live amongst us. We are not the rich man. We are people who have compassion and deep love, who will show grace, and who will go to those who feel that there is no dignity, and to those who are starving, and to those who are hungry for love, and we are the ones who will sit next to them and share what we have. I pray that there will be a day where we have no Lazaruses. Where all of those who were left at the gate of the rich man will be carried into the homes. And they will be looked after there. And they will experience the love of God. That day can be. But it's up to us. It's up to each and every one of us who call Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior to take up that mission. And so may the challenge be with me and may the challenge be with you as we journey from here on onwards. May God be with us. Amen. Dear Lord, we come before you now and we are so aware that there are times where we are so busy where we have so many other plans, where we have to get things done, that we have a very narrow vision of making sure that the tasks are completed. We have our own loved ones. We have the loved ones in our families. We have the loved ones that, uh, that we fellowship with, and they are very special to us. But Lord, I pray that we are never so busy and so focused that we forget that there are those who live on the outskirts who need love who need support, who need to be brought in, who need a conversation or a cup of coffee or a cup of tea or he need a food parcel. Lord, I pray that we will all be aware of those and that it would make it very hard for us to be comfortable until all people are looked after. And so, Lord, I pray that you will challenge us to step out of our comfort zones so that we might be able to bring your love, your compassion, and your grace into every person's heart. Lord, I pray for those who feel invisible. May you make them move into the circle, and may God's people take notice. May our churches become places of shelter, so that those who are invisible will find a home. So Lord, be with us all. May we all learn from this parable and may we all see the light 
in the midst of the darkness, whose name is Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.